Sometimes I look back on the pods that we do and I'm like, I can't believe I said that. I'm so smart. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of the time, actually. <laughs> do you believe that, Andy? Do you believe that at the end of the pod? Do you, you've actually been happy with yourself and your own work. When I get on a roll and when you're passionate about something, it's like you can't say anything wrong, you know? I feel like when you're struggling and you don't really know too much about it, you're sort of fumbling around. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you, but what? you're pretty confident on most topics because you're a bit of a knowing one. Oh, I, uh, oh uh, funny stuff, funny stuff. But, Andy, thank you so much. We've, we've hit the live button, so I'm assuming that we're – there we are. Our faces just popped on the other side. Thank you for getting up early and waking up with funny business. What's going on, man? Um, yeah, just waking up. Um, but I do like this time of the day. I get my best thinking done at this early in the morning. What time are you what time's your normal um wake up? Uh typically five thirty to six. I'm a morning guy. I stretch, meditate, cup of tea. Oh, that's insane. I wish I could do that. I was laughing because I, I half drafted a LinkedIn post the other day talking about like morning routines of champions or something. It was after I was like, I don't really need to get on my like just vent to everyone. Someone needs to hear about the awesome stuff I'm doing. Yeah, no, I didn't post it because like no one really cares that much, but it was like Matilda had been probably the best part of like two weeks in a row of 4.30 to 5 o'clock starts and then the 5 o'clock to 8 o'clock window before me and Lockie's just start things about 8 o'clock was just, I felt like I'd done a full day's work by 8 o'clock. I was just broken. And by the last day, I was like, how do people get up and like meditate and journal and like organize their life? And I just was like starting my day and I was shell shocked. Yeah, it's that classic CEO thing, right? Like the the four thirty get up, exercise, like starting your day and just filling your whole day of of things that you need to do. It's pretty relentless. All right. Well, hey, we're letting some people get into the stream. If you haven't been following along, we've. Uh, this pod runs every Tuesday. We've been saying AEDT, but it's actually now AEST. I think so, yeah. We got that right. Yeah, but, so, uh, yeah. Big thanks to MYOB supporting the stream. Funny Business 100% live, as we said. If you have any questions for Andy, today's topic is all about brand strategy. So I see Steph's in the comments. Uh, if you have any questions along the way, we'll be answering them as we go. So feel free. We've got the, we've got the sensei on the line today. So. Oh, the sensei. I think this is the third time. We've had you on the pod now, Andy. You're yes, probably the most. Like any of our chats, so I like you could just chuck a microphone on a table whenever we have a chin wag, and you get some good stuff. It's all right, isn't it? I was pumping your tires before this chat, and I said because there hasn't. I think you and maybe one other person have been on three times, but there's a reason that you're on three times. And I, I love chatting with you. I feel like you are you you give really great insights, but you're also very helpful. To, the way that when you like listen back to some of the stuff, like there's if you're listening and you're live on this and you're waking up on a Tuesday morning, you got Andy Walsh, you're like, let's let's make the most of this. <laughs> <laughs> Humbled boy, right. very kind. All right. Well let's get into it. Um there's a few people in the chassis Steph, I see Daniel, like we said, if you have any questions for Andy, drop them in. I'll be um, going through the comments as the as the chat goes through. And if you listen on the podcast, Mm. Good stuff. Good stuff. We love you. Yeah, we love you. All right. Well, first question is, this is about all about brand strategy. Kick off with a simple one. What does brand strategy actually mean? It's interesting. It's it's changed a lot um, as far as like what you used to be able to do with a brand, which is very much a bit of a set and forget um, in the sense of you're able to define your brand logo. You probably do some pretty traditional by the line marketing. Um, and, you know, through the years, things have changed. You look at the evolution of Facebook. Um, when that came on, people went from moving first-party data into sort of using third-party platforms with the classic bait and switch um, that they then had to pay to access their audience. But I think now, um, I was actually reading a really great report from Accenture last year. 
this whole thing about being life-centric with people, people's lives change so quickly. And I think consumer consumption, so it means brand strategy now has to be pretty nimble. So there's a few structural things you can still do, but how you market and build off a brand strategy has changed significantly. Do you think they have to like, oh, I see it from a consumer point of view. I like, we love brands. You know, we love, we love brands. I think of it like when I get the other side of it, like, is it annoying for brands to want to like embed themselves with people's lives? Uh, yes and no. And I think that's kind of the the challenge that brands are facing now. So if you go back to the core of say mission, vision, and purpose around what a brand represents, uh, you definitely need to stand for a lot more. And we can talk more as we go into this, but the depth that goes behind that's critical. And why I raise that as far as your relationship with your audience is that they need to believe you. They need to trust you like a friend. People research a lot more. They need to understand how you operate, your place in the world. And that means that you build a level of trust. So it's more than a brand relationship now. It's almost like a a circle of friends of how they entertain you, how you relate with them, how they add to your life. So I think that's, you know, been a big shift on how you need to think about building that depth of brand relationship. It's funny, pretty early on when we we started the pod, uh, maybe about a year in, you 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 did a document for us and and summarized some stuff that me and Locke had been trying to trying to get out and talk through. And we still refer to that all the time, like the undercurrent of business culture. And it's funny that we've done a few of these other things. We've changed the show, we've added new new segments in, new types of podcasts and whatever. But I feel like the way that you like look at things, you can really help like identify like where they fit in the world. And I'd love to get into some of the stuff. We've got some like, how do you create a brand strategy and the process that you go through? But what is it that you look for when you're like trying to identify where someone should sit and what like where their brand should actually be positioned? Yeah, there's there's a few things. So I think as far as like life cycle, I guess, is the defining factor in that about where they're at, like brand new business versus an established business. Um, and, you know, if you look at a, probably a more challenging one, which is a new business, there's obviously a lot of work that goes into the actual product itself or the service that you're going to offer um, and being clear on what that is and the value proposition that you have. There's lots of work that you need to do, obviously, before you build the brand strategy. So understanding your product, all the margin, all the sort of financials behind it to sort of set up a structure as far as, okay, like this is what we do. This is how we make money because you need a lot of those things in place to be able to know how do we tell our story. But I think, you know, the one thing you probably could do at the start is very much around the purpose because I think now like that's a mandatory, right? Like having a purpose, a lot of brands are focusing on that now because they feel they have to. But I think that the great innovative sort of brands that are launched recently start with a purpose, which is the why. Like, like why are you doing this? Because for a lot of brands, it's sort of, it can be a little bit transactional. Um, and that's why we see a lot of churn of brands coming in and out because they sort of can't keep up with that sort of demand. But I think, you know, understanding who your business is, the category that you play in and the landscape like understanding all those things. You need to understand your competitors. You need to understand how they take themselves to market, their relationship with the consumers, what's happening in people's lives. There's so much that goes into that first audit process before you can even think about putting a bit of a stake in the ground. How much time should people be spending on this sort of stuff? I feel like we've talked to so many people on the pod and it's been a mix, you know, like some people are like super passionate brand people and they've... What about Odira Alice Williams? She was just like, no, none of that sort of stuff and just put it out there, eh? Well, now she's got the biggest brand yeah. on TikTok, but they, their brand is still videos. That's yeah, their yeah, brand. Yeah, but yeah. again, like some people who don't have a following, not focusing on getting out there and talking and sharing the word, like is, do you think that people 
need it to be successful now in the way that like the digital world works? Yeah, it's it's interesting question, and like because your purists will say that you hundred percent have to have a depth of brand strategy that involves like many things about how your business functions, and ESG has obviously become really sort of critical for businesses these days. So if you think about ESG framework, your product, the culture of your business, like all these things that you do, I think there's an element of that where you can sort of like test it out as you go. Um, and the purists would say, no, like lock it all in and have structure in what you're doing before you start. But I think there's something quite nice around like one of the few good things on social media, I'm a cynic, um, which I think you guys know, but one of the things that is, is great about that is that there's this culture now where there's a little bit of test and learn. People aren't so critical, like this perfectionism that used to exist in brands to get it right before you launch anything. I think you can sort of test and learn a little bit more these days. Things are quite iterative. And I think having that trust in your consumers and that relationship to get feedback and actually build on that. And I'm not saying that you should have um, a brand that's consumer-led because that will just become a bastard child. Um, but I think that you can sort of spend, say, maybe a week in trying to crack just a simple framework about principles that you stand for. Because that, as I said to you guys early on, it helps you make decisions, right? If you have something that you all mutually agree, this is our business, this is what we stand for, you have a framework to make decisions and that empowers you to be speedy with what you're doing as well. So getting that foundations in place is critical. And then when you go into logo design, audio branding, which you boys know I love, um, and then thinking about marketing strategy, I think they're the other things that you can test and learn a little bit is sort of you need to evolve because if you think about brand strategy 20 years ago to now, what's happened with the digital world is there's all these new layers that 20 years ago you wouldn't even be able to begin to understand where to start. What's the difference between brand strategy and marketing strategies? Yeah, so brand strategy really is sort of like your North Star of sorts. So it allows you to have the principles and foundations about who you are as a business, but also how you look, how, how you speak. It's almost like defining a human being, right, as far as who they are, whereas marketing strategies, then how do you tell those stories? So how do you take that brand to market, getting people excited about your product and letting them be educated on your product and the role that you play in society and the value that you ultimately offer to them? So you're working pretty closely if you're part of a big team. The brand and marketing team are pretty much going to be working hand in hand, really. Yeah, very much so. And one of the things that's interesting at the moment um, with, the, I guess, the global economy is that there's this very sort of tense relationship between um, product and brand. So in, in the times when people aren't spending money, the natural instinct is to default to try and just sell more products and do very specific product marketing. Um, but there's been so many studies and you look at brands like McDonald's, a really good case study as far as doing just pure brand strategy and making sure that people have that relationship because there's all these things that have happened and they typically say that 12 to 18 months, if you don't do brand marketing, your sales will sort of drop off a cliff. People need to know who you are and what you stand for. Just flogging the product doesn't actually make a sustainable business. So um, as far as like making sure you are communicating both your brand and your product simultaneously is critical in that. How do you measure the difference? I feel like when we talk to people and you think like performance marketing, they can like, they look and I know that if I spend this dollar on ads, I'm expecting this return. Whereas I feel like brand slightly different. H how do you measure the success of a good brand? Yeah. So there's a few things. Um, one of the pieces I would definitely encourage is very much around the brand health um, and how you do survey data. So 
making sure you have like a baseline sort of foundation. And there's ones that um, you can get like Net Promoter Score as an example that sort of looks at that, but you can have your own internal piece. And I think where, where your brand health is at is critical um, in the sense of how people perceive you, um, what you stand for and that depth of knowledge on you, and then also you compared to your competitors. Um, you can do really simple things like prompted and unprompted questions. If you look at sort of baseline research, um, you know, giving someone information to choose from versus asking them an open-ended question to then fill in a spot to sort of know like who the brands are that they relate to, who's strong in the category, et cetera. Because like that, that's really important, right? Because you know the impulsive decisions that we make all the time, like if Locks down the corner store and he wants to get an ice cream, like, you know, golden gay time. Is it, mate? Or- Maybe a couple at the same time, I reckon. I can fit two in my mouth, Andy. Don't worry about that. That's a good skill. So it's sort of like, but for you, like that's a relationship you have with the brand, right? You know what you're going to get and there's a trust that comes with that. So those sort of having that clear brand strategy allows those impulsive decisions to be made quickly because you have a level of trust. It's kind of like if I came to you versus a perfect stranger, you're both offering exactly the same product at exactly the same price. I'd choose you guys because I know you, right? Like it's just simple human psychology. Well, I'm a big fan of that. Hey, welcome, Panit. Thanks for the question, mate. Question coming in is, should a new company spend on branding in the early days, i.e. focus on brand strategy versus getting some sales in and then doing a bigger launch? Yeah, it's a it's a good question. Um, it depends on the product. I'd say like obviously, and I've done it myself, like cash flow is king. Like, if you're fortunate enough to have capital behind you, uh, maybe some VC funding, you've obviously got accountability to people with that funding, but you might have a bit more freedom. If you're bootstrapping it, um, you need to be able to make decisions that keeps the doors open, but also builds your brand. So um, as far as what I would probably recommend is an element of both. I, I think be be smart with your budget planning, with like how you invest in brand development and understand like say maybe six months ahead, what does that look like for you? What are your overheads? You know, what are product development costs if it's a service and your overheads are light? You know, how do you reduce and minimize your costs to invest in the right areas? And I think that if you feel confident that you can sort of sustain yourselves for a period of time, get money coming in the door, obviously sell as much as you can, but don't shy away from spending money on brand because long-term, uh, that's going to be the thing that will ultimately separate you. Do you think restrictions help, like having them boundaries where you're like, all right, well, we can't spend too much on this and we got to do that. Do you think that actually helps with like the creative brand strategy and like thoughts into that? Yeah, definitely. I think it's, it's like any decision in life, right? You you want to feel empowered. Like if there's if you're making decisions that are sort of and you don't feel confident about that decision or you're second guessing yourself, then it slows you up. And I know in the early stages of me launching my own business, we had three of us as partners, we'd go around in circles sometimes for hours trying to make a decision on something where we had different points of view and trying to be respectful to each other, listen to each other. Sometimes that got heated, of course. But within that, like we're actually wasting time doing what we need to do to make money. So having guardrails, sometimes you might need to break them, but actually making quick and nimble decisions based on something that you pre-commit to, I think is really empowering and important for success. You mentioned before, Andy, that you'd probably buy from us if you knew us. It, we had a top, one of the topics we want to talk about is like brand equity and building trust and like what are the positive benefits? Like what are the outcomes of building brand? Yeah, so I, I think there's, I guess, a combination of things in that. As, as far as the 
trans what's the right word i guess transparency and if you look a bit things that are happening now like greenwashing is a good example where there's a lot of brands that have come out and claim that they're sustainable they're doing doing the, these things they're actually getting caught out um and people turn away and i think the the second layer to that i talked to it before with esg which do you know guys i assume you know the esg framework now you mentioned it before i was going to ask you to dig into that yeah, so that's like, it's almost like you can apply it to different sort of circumstance, but it's a corporate policy in the sense of what we're talking about. So E is environment, so very focused around sustainability. Um, S is social, so having ethical workplace, all the things about equal opportunity, making sure that there's no discrimination. So very much inclusiveness focus. Um, and then the G is governance, so compliance, like all the things that you need to do to trade and operate ethically as a business. Um, and with all those things, uh, you're actually able to have foundations that makes your business sort of future-proof the way the brands are interrogated these days. Feels very like B Corpy, you know what I mean? Yeah. You have to do, do you have to do all those things? Like me and Locke have been saying all this, like feels like everyone's creating these boxes that you have to tick or you're not allowed to do something. But I feel like sometimes for us, especially, we're just two people trying to do our best, put out, do our best to tick all the boxes yeah. we can, get our brand out there, do run the business, be able to pay ourselves. Like we feel like there's a lot of pressure attached to trying to make sure that, especially because we're pub, we're not we're not public public facing, but we are. You know, yeah, our personal yeah. brands at the forefront of what we're doing. We're the faces, of the pod, and also our brand. And we there's so many things that we have to consider, but it's mm. also it feels sometimes like there's pressure to do things when they might not necessarily like. Can I just put that decision off for a while? You know. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And it's funny you are something similar. We had a chat on episode 200 of the pod. Um, and I was talking about the maternity or paternity policy of Linktree. Um, and I think that you called out, Rob, um, as far as for some businesses, like having that financial support is just not financially viable, right? And I think you raise a good question. Like, I think there's sort of the ability to survive and make money, um, you know, put food on the table versus thrive, um, plus do all the right things. But I think that even at a small business level, like you don't need to be tracking your carbon footprint um, you know, and going in the depths of this. But I think just having some principles about how you trade and operate doesn't cost you anything, right? So understanding those frameworks and going, okay, within all the list of things that I should be doing, like what are the things that I can action and make sure that from a cultural perspective that we act and behave that way because you're future-proofing yourself, right? You just want to set the right foundations in place that you can build upon. You don't have to do everything at once, but I think just having the right philosophy is probably a, a simple way to sort of overcome the same thing. I love that little audio backlink to episode 200 too. Oh, that episode, go out and check it out. But questions come in from uh, Tegan Kirkby. There you go. Uh, good morning, Loveheart. Thank you so much. Good morning. Uh, what's, perspective, what's your perspective on brands finding a balance between sticking to their values versus meeting customer needs, i.e. cost cutting in some areas? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Probably a pertinent question right now for a lot of businesses in, in facing some tough financial um, sort of conditions right now. I, I think ultimately, like, um, having strong values um, allows you to build a sustainable business um, in the sense of being loyal to customers, to staff, et cetera, and building the foundations of something that is going to hold tight and hang tough. Um, and I think that, you know, you still need to make money um, so that's that's a big trade-off, right? So you know, sometimes you might have external factors. I mentioned before, like VCs, if you've got some venture capitalists that are breathing down your neck asking, you know, why aren't you making more money? Where's my multiplier? 
you know, all the things mm-hmm. that sort of, you know, tighten the screws and make your life difficult. Like, like that's tough, right? Because you're thinking about the exit strategy and you're thinking about the capital, um, but you can't forget the people in there too. Um, I'm not sure if you guys watch the the WeWork documentary. I, I haven't seen it yet. Nah, it's on that oh, it's, backlog. It's, it's, to yeah. watch. it's it's eye opening, and obviously it's a documentary. But the, what I talk about in there is like right down to eleventh hour. All these people thought they were sitting on these like massive amounts of equity, getting in early, not getting paid very much, working long hours, and then right at the eleventh hour, got burnt and lost all their equity. So basically, you just wasted a few years of their life, you know, from a financial point of view. But for many of them you know, probably in hindsight, having caught their breath, have elevated their careers in a way too. So it's sort of like there's trade-offs in that both ways, but um, I think you got to try and put a little bit of foot in both camps. Be pragmatic on making money and keeping doors open, but be loyal because ultimately long-term that drives retention of staff and that's critical to have a sustainable business as well. What do you reckon on some of the ones that you're loving? What brands out there at the moment have popped up that you have really caught your eye or you, you're interested in some we've, of the... We've spoken about Liquid Death a lot and like why we love that because it's just a bit edgy and a bit different. Is there any other examples like that where you're just like, they're doing shit right? Yeah, it's it's a good question. And like like small and large scale, right? Um, I mean, if you look at large scale and like, I haven't interrogated enough, but the, the handover of sorts of Patagonia as far as like giving away that ownership. And a lot of people have been sceptical about they can get that ownership back. It's a tax strategy, the whole piece. But I think that if you talk about purpose and genuine purpose, I'm going to go big first. But the ability to have um, someone who is driving an agenda and making that very public too, in the sense of how do you drive sort of change as a business? Because businesses, we're part of the community, right? The influences of brands now on community at large is significant and Nike obviously do a good job, but Patagonia just raising these social issues. So they're like, look, we're actively doing this. Um, and of course they they make lots of money and they, they may not be perfect. And, you know, you can find flaws in most businesses on how they act and trade, but it's the, it's the essence of combining both how you make products and try and reduce your carbon footprint, but also use that as a platform forum to inspire others to sort of want to do the same thing. Um, at a smaller scale, I actually can't think of a good one off the top of my head, which is I should have had a thought to think about that before I came on. But um, I looked to, to brands that, and I, and I was saying maybe I'll come up with one on the fly, but I think as far as like at a foundational level, the ability to create products and you know, whether they're you know biodegradable, whether there's a way that they're distributed and sold. But I think now that businesses have this higher level of expectation placed upon them where you need to factor in so much more to sort of launch something now and be sustainable. Um, and I don't mean in a in a green way, as in like survive and thrive, I guess, in the sense of a modern world. I love that. And I'm loving the questions coming in yeah, today. It's, it's been good. good, hasn't it? It's been a makes our life easier too when you're pumping through. So we've got a few, we've still got time for probably one or two more questions. We've still got a couple on our list. So if you do have any more questions for for the the sensei Andy and you want to get them in. Uh, drop them in the chat because there's no stress. We'll uh, we'll just read them out and we'll ask it's them. Good, it's good how you can just butt in whenever you want. Like you never really get that access in a podcast, do you? It's pretty like you're probably lying. Are we cutting there. edge? Is this cutting edge stuff? They're lying in their bed. You know, they have yeah. their morning coffee. You might be sitting on the shitter. <laughs> ask some questions. Definitely sitting on the shitter. We were. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about some like common mistakes or bad things that you've seen? Like 
examples in the past or people that you've worked with, like they've got big grand visions or fall into the same trap. Yeah. 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 I, I think the, I can't give a good example, but I'll tell you as far as things that you see, and there's been a real churn um, as far as big business and ones that are sort of come and then sort of disappear quickly. And I think it's very much resting on your laurels in the sense of like, we've done it this way for a long time and been successful. So why would we change? Um, and I, I look at sort of like from an e-com point of view for people that didn't embrace it early enough. And I think that, you know, the ability to be able to make yourself available uh, as well. And there was um, I'm gonna, a mental blank who it is. There's an amazing um, athletics brand in the US and they had this beautiful thing um, as far as it's actually more answering your question before about a good story versus a bad Um but what they did was it was an e-com sort of store that's selling athleisure in the States. And they had, obviously, it was all online. So they built this beautiful um, sort of data pool and understanding their customers, where they were, what they spent, what products they're interested in. Um, and then sort of pre-COVID realized that they sort of hit a bit of a ceiling and it wasn't down to marketing dollars. It was probably like a, a category place, right, that they kind of got their market share. And then they were sort of going head to head with their competitors so what they did to elevate their sales, they actually opened bricks and mortar stores. But rather than thinking about them as a place that they could sell, they made them communities. So they actually looked into certain um, zip codes in the States and went, okay, in this pool of people that live around here, what products are they buying um, behind that? What kind of things would they be interested in doing? Um, and then they created almost like a community outlet. So having programs for females to come and have like seminars where they'd have someone present on small business or maybe working part-time as a as a mum. What what all the things that you're interested in that are relevant to their audience that may not even be related to their products, but using the connection of human experience to be able to bring people together that are like-minded and by that way elevating the community and making their brand like hyper-connected. And from that point, they had a significant drive in sales off the back of it too because they were sort of supporting the community. They were in the pockets that they were driving sales already but then had a long tail of forming these new types of relationships with their customers. Fucking love that. Hey, we talked to heaps about community. You know? Yeah, well, brand experience, you know, what goes into that, like all the different touch points and what you, like you mentioned, like it doesn't have to directly relate to the product or whatever you're selling, but it's like listening to who's actually in your community and like responding to that. I love that. Do all brands need community now? Yeah, definitely. Like it's sort of, I mean, all brands, I'm talking mass consumer brands when I just go, absolutely. I mean, there's lots of little small shops as well. But uh, even that, if you think about the local tradie that comes by, you know, the community that you're in and referrals and, and the way that you find out about services, like the way that people find you guys as well, like there's that endorsement piece um, is obviously really important from a networking point of view. And if you're not having community, then you're also missing out on the ability to just get plenty of um, free advertising and networking. It's almost like having brand ambassadors for you that actually spend money to be part of your community, but still endorse you on the same hand. So it's that utopian world of like advocates that become not only your customers, but also you know someone in market that talks about what you stand for and, and what you offer. Oh, because I love that. It's the power of the referral, isn't it? Word of mouth is everything. Like I even look at like tradies and stuff like that. Like if you do a good job and people are saying, hey, I had the best experience with those. They came in, they fixed the thing. They had a coffee with me. hot leads. Yeah. Yeah, They're not like uh, from a sales perspective, like they're not, you're having these conversations that people want to talk to you. 
they're receptive of what you're talking. It's not, you're not coming at them from like an initial brand awareness point of view where they're like yeah. not defensive, but they're like, what the fuck do you want a little bit? Yeah, totally. And like one of the interesting ones, and it's sort of whether this is good or bad, you look at what happened with Kanye and Adidas, right? And like, and they're still cleaning up that. And as far as like the role of talent and a business that from an Adidas point of view, are going in the right direction and their sustainability policy is, is pretty significant. And I feel like that, it might even be by next year that like all their um, clothing and footwear is going to be made out of um, recycled materials, and then they're going carbon neutral. I think by twenty fifty on all their production. Um, and but as far as the fallout though, like it's in the billions of dollars, right? Like a relationship with someone who you know acted in a certain way that reflected badly on them, and they had to sever ties, which loses a significant amount of revenue, um, but then also leaves them with a bunch of stock. Um, the baggage around it and they were criticised for not acting quickly enough to sort of outcast Kanye when he was going on his anti-Semitic sort of rage. But Didn't they still sell I, his stuff though? They were still profiting from the shoes even though they still had the extra stuff. They cut him and still sold the product. Yeah, and no, I don't know how long like and what's happening with it now. I haven't, apart from what I read, I don't know what's happening with all the stock now and are they making money. But I, I think as far as like that immediate point and whether they're making money off the stock steal, like they'll criticize for being late to respond. But I think off the back of that though, like people need to understand too that, you know, severing ties with him has a significant flow onto their business, right? You can't just do it flippantly. Like they need to think about stock. They've got stock in retailers. There's all these things that they need to work through. It's a um it's a fascinating case study. I'm interested to sort of see where they're at in 12 months' time. I love that. What about repairing some brand damage like so brand crisis control something's happened and it's gone it might have you know flown under the radar or something and you just found out and you're a public facing brand or whatever how do you repair a brand like what what happens when something bad happens have you done something no i'm just i'm just <laughs> i wrote it down because i'm like of course of course he's done something <laughs> i've done we've all done something haven't we we've all done something oh, he's, he's like your pet golden retriever you just got to keep an eye on him all the time. <laughs> have you dug in the garden beds <laughs> um i i think that um as far as owning it lucky today like like there's no way you can hide behind it if it's like even a level again like even if you don't get like to a point where you're doing the wrong thing and you get away with it. Like people are actively trying to find people that are doing the wrong thing. There's so I think that you've got to own it, right? And like how you own it is complicated in sort of coming out, acknowledging that there's something you need to fix. It's sort of like any problem. I, I think finding solutions and identifying that what you've done is not the right thing. But like so many businesses have managed to navigate that, right? And sort of come out where like, I mean, look at Opus is a great example. And like you know, from a, a data breach point of view last year and trying to rebuild. Um, and you look at stories, it's sort of going back to your foundations about who you are as a brand and re-communicating why you do it. And, you know, we're human beings and there's decisions that are made and you'd hope that there's no bad intention behind things if someone's been deceitful deliberately. But, you know, we make decisions that sometimes have consequences that we don't consider. And it's been honest and open about that in a way to go, yeah, we've, we're human, we've made a mistake. But I think going back into a way and just reminding people about what they know you for, but it takes time. It's like a friendship. If someone burns you, you know, ultimately you want to forgive them, right? Um, but it takes a little bit of time and it takes, you know, a little bit of handholding and nurturing. It's the same kind of thing. You've got to treat them like human beings. You mentioned before that if people are consumer-led for their brand, they don't want to be a bastard child. But I feel like talking about 
um, if something goes wrong, but just like day-to-day brand management type stuff, what happens if you get people sending in feedback and like, is it a hard balance between like listening to what people are saying and also putting out in the world what you want to put out? Yeah, definitely. And like, there was a great cartoon and I can't think of where it was. So I I don't get on social media anymore, so I don't know where I saw it. But it was this whole thing about like a, a cartoon of lots of people shouting the speech bubbles and says what the internet says. And then the adjacent cartoon was like two people shouting on the same thing, saying what real life actually is. Um, and for whatever reason, like the ability to be anonymous and and shout and in the sense of caps caps lock shout on the internet um, is, is fascinating, right? And why people feel like that they have the ability to do that and how much you actively listen. And you can do simple things like sentiment analysis like where you can actually use tools to analyze the the tone, the words, everything that goes into conversations happening around your brand and get a sense of what it is. And if there's a if there's something that's alarming, but that you probably need to interrogate it. But I also think that you can get lost in that. It's like athletes. If you talk to an athlete, like you don't want to go into the social media after a game and sort of and just hear the one arsehole that sort of just tears you down. It's like, I don't know if you guys watch Ted Lasso. But there's like there's classic things in that where people can get attached to the good and the bad. And I think it's just a lot of it's just white noise. And I think you've got to be able to distill it and sort of think about what are the things you're doing. Otherwise, you'll just get lost in the weeds of a bunch of people that ultimately are not unhappy. They're probably just venting for whatever reason. Oh, I remember when we first kicked off the pod, I think it was after episode four, we had a person reach out saying, you need to cut down on the swearing and all that sort of stuff. And I think back now, I'm like, if I had to listen to that, we've done so many episodes, it would have been so fake for us, you know, like that's not authentic. Like if that's the way we naturally talk, like we couldn't put on that front, you know, and like taking that feedback on board. Yeah, like yeah. I feel like a lot of people would take oh, everything. Like, yeah. They need to be longer episodes. They need to be this. It's like, telling us what to, it's like, don't tell me what to do. <laughs> We're trying yeah. the best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. I was chatting to my wife this morning, who you guys know, um, and we're just like laughing in a, in a positive way about the way what you guys are doing. They've got so much respect. Is like the, the test and learn piece. You've done different formats. You've done different things. And it's sort of like not being scared of that's really important. Like as long as you understand the consequences of what you're doing and where that's going to go and like being prepared to have an end date and rationalize that, then it's worth a crack because like there's everyone that calls themselves an expert, but how could you call yourselves an expert on a podcast? It's so new, right? Like if... If that random person was an expert, then then why aren't they sort of out there killing it, doing their own thing, right? Like it's sort of it's like the investment thing. It's like having a financial planner who is struggling to make ends meet for me is sort of like, yeah, maybe not the right person for me to help me manage my money. Yeah, hundred percent. We feel a bit that way with with pods. Like it's hard. Like, That's why I love fat chefs. When I look looking in the fat chefs, fat chefs is a great example. Oh, we talk about it all the time. Like we don't really refer to ourselves as pod experts, but then when we look at it, we go, "All right, we've done close to seven hundred episodes. We've produced other shows. We've been doing it now full time for the last three years." Like it's it's interesting to see other people talk mm. as like from level of expertise and stuff. But we've done a lot of trial and error, test and learn. But it's been from that point of view. I think with our community, the people who know and follow along the pod, they're happy for us to fuck around a little bit too because it's like they they know that we're trying to give them great insight. Like when we plan our questions, some of these questions, like we've talked about this stuff before, we might know the answers, but we're trying to ask and, and get prompts and take the conversation in a way that we think it's going to benefit the people who listen to the pod. 
Yeah, definitely. And like, I mean, I'm at ARN now and we're, you know, part of the iHeartRadio family and we've got so many great podcasts and like one of my favourites, The Imperfects. And I think, you know, within that, like the ability for people to, and like they're doing the same thing and I'm not sure how many episodes I've done now, it'd be quite a few, but like the ability to tell the story um, and be open for that feedback and the premise of their platform obviously is it feels like the ability to break down barriers and let people share their, their own personal stories to that's that empathy thing right but I think that as a community I think that's a really nice sort of forum to go yeah we're open to feedback etc but people who are so forthright about that because you know like people that have been producing podcasts for you know say five years now of course they're going to be much better and more expert than I'll ever be but I think it's sort of taking it with a grain of salt and trying to understand the intent. Like if they're sharing feedback, do they care? You'd hope so, right? Oh, 100%, yeah. No, that's you're right. It's just like we've just found it. It's been an interesting journey for us, I think, hasn't it? Like even for me, like some people coming up and saying, hey, guys, you know, like they know how to talk to us because they know what we're like. And I feel like meeting people who listen to the pod, they know so much about your life. You know, and for me, I felt like that was a, it's yeah. been an interesting like interaction because I'm like, I don't know, I find it weird, but you kind of had it with footy, you know? I think it's a bit, it's sort of a little yeah. bit the same. One, because I think for the last few years with COVID and stuff, we hadn't been able to get out and about. It was very difficult to actually meet people. A lot of our staff in our community, we built like a digital first community. And then now for us in the Dream Big Social Club, everything we're doing this year is just about how do you actually get that face-to-face in real life connection? So similar to the brand story, you're talking about the people from, building these brick and mortar stores for communities connect and experience things together. I feel me and Locke feel like we've done it in reverse. We've built all these things where people know what's going on. They all yeah. individually, like they're like, we can't believe the type of people that are in our community. It's like, you guys are all going to fucking meet because that would be unreal. You get so much value out of doing it. And I feel like hearing to you say that story about the bricks and mortar store makes it feel exactly what we're trying to do this year with what we're doing at Dream Big Social Club. Yeah, and that's and that's amazing, right? It's sort of like because what you've done, your community has helped shape and define your business in a way. You realize that just I and I know that it happened sort of off the pod, but the way that people are like, oh, they were really interesting. I'd love to connect with them. And you become this connector of like-minded people who are on similar type missions or have symbiotic sort of reasons to come together and try and do something more. And there's something beautiful about that. It's how we were raised as human beings, right? We were we're in a tribe of people and we all helped each other out and social media ironically has actually moved us further apart and people have never been more isolated in the sense of how they live their life and and lacking someone to turn to in times of need so like these communities and i i love this and, and being vulnerable to your point Locke, i think is critical like it's the best way to form relationships is to be vulnerable and and talk about how you feel and and own it and like being calculated with how you communicate is the antithesis of building trust in relationship. Oh, I'm loving that. I only get a thesaurus out to understand what that means. But, hey, thanks, uh, thanks, Andy, for jumping on and waking up with funny business. How do people find your stuff if they're interested in what you're talking about? How can they connect with He's you? He's off social media. Mate. I know, but he might. Send him the bat signal or if you need to help with your brand. Huh? <laughs> um, I still use LinkedIn actively, um, but it's very sort of, I, there's people that I, I really respect that I like to follow and see what they're writing um and there's some weird stuff on there but yeah linkedin's definitely the the best place um to get a hold of me and obviously at arn right now lots of good stuff going on this year um with our business um so if you're interested in the digital audio world uh, which is your place then that's obviously my heartland right now too 
I love that. Big thanks to MYOB for supporting this stream and podcast. It's been a banger, I reckon. This is out of all the chats, out of all the pods that we've had you on, Andy. I feel like this is probably the best one. I think I it's just we've done a few. We've done a few, so we're like in the rhythm. We yeah, do them. But seriously, I love I love having you on the pod, Andy. Thank you so much for sharing your insights because I feel like so many people have already popping up in the chat when people listen to this as when it gets released on pod because we repurpose the content. Yeah, you know? yeah, because yeah, pod pods. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, see you there all next week. Legend. Thanks, boys, for having me.